Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick. And today's guest is Usha Anandi, who's the founder and creative director of Wombin Wellness. Usha's work is dedicated to revolutionizing the way modern healthcare serves the sacred and ancient within each woman. She's a devoted mother, holistic nutritionist, childbirth educator, full-spectrum doula, and herbalist committed to changing the status quo by alchemizing modern scientific information with ancient energetic practices to serve the whole woman. Usha has trained thousands of women around the world and is known for sharing life-changing teachings in a clear, accessible, and compassionate way. Hi, Usha. Hi, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm really excited to speak with you. I am so excited to have you on. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate what you're doing and your platform. And I think it's so incredible that you've had the opportunity to train other women and sharing this information. And I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm really, really passionate about just traditional indigenous and ancient medicines and healing modalities. And we try and share those as well. But I love that you're so focused on the feminine and And I'm sure you just have like such an incredible, like deep dive into all the different modalities. So I, I wanted to just kind of like talk about that and, and different things that I've seen on your platform shared. I know that you have a course, so I'm curious, you know, and going into all that and like what that covers as well. But first, I just kind of want to get a sense of you and how you got into this work and if it was something that you grew up around or something that just, you know, called you and you were um, really interested in learning more about. Hmm, Thanks. Yeah. So I definitely did not grow up around, you know, a feminine based perspective or really access to that kind of world. I grew up, you know, in a family that was highly Irish Catholic, so really ingrained in the church. And at around a late age 11, I found myself just really doubting the church and really feeling constricted and restricted by the teachings that were passed down to me through the church, which was all, you know, in my experience, and, you know, this is just my personal experience, was all very fear-based and all very focused on constricting the feminine. So when I decided to leave the church, you know, when I was around 11 or 12, it was a a pretty big issue in my family. And then I kind of started this existential search for, okay, you know, I knew that I believed in God or the divine or universe, whatever it is, you know, we want to call it. I knew I believed in a divine energy and I started to question where that energy was coming from and where that energy was located. So what I had been taught previously was that God was something that was outside of us. The divine was outside of us, right? This universal energy did not exist in our bodies. It was something that we had to obey, that we had to um, be good in order to connect with. And what I learned through my studies and apprenticeship of my womb and various teachers is that In my experience, 
God or divine is within us as well. So God is all around us. The divine is within us. And recognizing that really started to begin to heal my relationship with my body. So when I was around 15, I went on the pill, you know, and I um, was from a Catholic family. So teen pregnancy was definitely not something that was invited. So I was encouraged to go on the pill right away. And I was on the pill for almost five years. And when I got off of the pill, um, hormonal birth control, I started to have so many different symptoms. So I had cystic acne all over my face, specifically in my chin and my jaw and uh, my neck. My hair started falling out. Um, I had so many different mood swings. I had weight gain and I was just feeling really out of my body and not at all myself. And that experience and going to various practitioners and asking them, you know, what's going on? The only thing that has changed is the use of the pill and them telling me, oh, you should just try another pill, right? So I was on three different brands of hormonal birth control before I finally decided enough was enough. And through that decision, to take my power back or really to recognize my innate power that had never actually left, I decided to study holistic nutrition first as a catalyst or as based on the interest to heal myself from all of the issues that I was experiencing because of hormonal contraceptives. And then I started to notice as I started to share this information, that many, many women had similar stories. Yeah. And as I realized that many women had similar stories, I started to recognize that perhaps this story is not just my own. Perhaps there is a collective wound here that keeps us disconnected from our bodies, that supports us in continually questioning ourselves our and our source of power. So the work that I do today, you know, and I work a lot with birth, I work a lot with fertility, with postpartum, with mothers. The work I do today is really all of it is informed by what I've experienced and this deep knowing within myself that in the status quo right now, something just isn't right and that this isn't the way it has to be. And so from that place, I offer all of the work that I do because it's what I needed and it's what I've recognized that so many others need too. I love that. And I, I've had, again, like just a similar experience in terms of my birth control journey. And for me, it was when I got off of it. And when I look at young girls that are, you know, family friends of ours and anyone that's confused and looking right now for guidance and their parents are still of the generation that might not really like understand what you and I have gone through and are t discussing, then I think still the conversation is around, okay, like I'm sexually active. I need to get on the pill or even now with um, this shot that's happening that people are taking and I believe is an experiment and affecting us um, and women on such a deep level and and really unfortunate because um, it 
directly is affecting women's fertility. I think it's so important to have access to information that uh, is also being considered woo-woo or even controversial or censored. And so I, I get so happy when I see people such as yourself sharing this information in a way that's that is accessible, that is backed by so much science and science that's been around for centuries, forever. So I think some of the things like I really wanted to talk to you about and I think is really interesting because I've heard and interviewed so many women that have had the same journey, but you've taken it to the next level with the incorporating things like yoni steaming and um, just other ancient practices. I think that those are still, you know, on the, you know, just people don't know about stuff like that, right? Even though I, I feel like, yoni steaming has, you know, gotten trendier. It's still something that takes a lot of intention for a woman to incorporate into her monthly routine. And so, um, I'm curious, like how then, cause you did like your nutritional training, but then like, how did you kind of learn about these other ancient practices? Or like I saw really quickly, um, on your platform, just like other energetic stuff, you know, like that people might not be aware of. Definitely most people aren't aware of, but like the connection of your um, jaw or your vocal cords to your pelvis and how that affects um, fertility and other things and, and like breast massage and breast care. And, you know, I mean, there, there's like a list that goes on. I'd love for you to list things. <laughs> I want to know yeah. like all of I mean, I feel like I'm at the tip of the iceberg still because for me, like I know about them, but I, I haven't done like a total deep dive. And and then when I learn more, whether it's someone that contributes an article on our website or, or I'm just really interested in it as well, but there's not like one place, right, for someone to go to, to learn these things. And so to me, what you've created is so incredible because I'm assuming that's also what's part of your course. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. So all of our teachings will always have a scientific component and a sacred component. So we always touch on, you know, what does the research say? And I think it's really important um, that we just name that research today, you know, and what we believe to be quote unquote science is often backed by industry, right? So long-term studies take money to fund. And so a lot of times I think that science is given too much weight and we don't look enough at the ancient practices. So that's why we always blend the anatomical understanding of the body. So what's going on? Why is your jaw and your pelvis connected? Why are the womb and the voice connected in terms of the anatomy, both the subtle anatomy, the energy and the gross anatomy of your body, the muscles, the fascia, etc. And then we also look at the sacred. So what's going on um, with your ancestry? You know, what are you carrying that's not your own? What's going on in your energy body? And we blend those two together to provide a really whole body approach. So just touching on the um, 
the energetic piece. I think it's really important to remember that these practices of yoni seeming or, you know, living in harmony with nature, herbalism, these are not new, right? And sometimes we'll find them on Instagram and it's like, yeah, you know, yoni seeming is becoming trendy, et cetera. And we'll think like, oh, wow, like a new thing. And it's, it's not new. It's ancient, but it feels new because the world we're living in specifically, you know, the patriarchal capitalist West is incredibly disconnected from the earth and is incredibly disconnected from what it means to live in harmony with nature. And so when we find these ancient practices, it feels so exciting, not because they're new, not because they're trendy, but because they emit and bring us back to a sense of truth, which is that we are not separate from the earth. We are not separate from the elements. In fact, we are the elements. And if we want to heal ourselves, our bodies, we have to remember that. So one, one of my main teachers, her name is Doña Maria Carmen, and I lived with her in Mexico, and she is a partera and a curandera. So partera is much more than a midwife, but that might be the English understanding of the word. And, you know, the lineage I come from and also the, and I don't share a lot of her teachings because they're not mine to share, and I don't want to appropriate that incredibly profound culture. But a lot of what I learned and studied with her during my apprenticeship informs the way that I move through life and informs the way that I approach womb healing. So the term midwife means womb to tomb. And that means, you know, midwives used to be a central part of community healing. They were the ones who cared for babies from womb. So from the time we came out of our mothers, from even before we were conceived in our mothers, possibly all the way from preconception on to when we decided to leave the world. So from womb to tomb is from birth, before birth, even to death. And we've really lost this understanding of what it means to care for not only the whole body, but the whole person throughout their life. So now we have specialists, right? You go to see someone who specializes in the gastrointestinal tract. You go to see someone um, who specializes in your mouth or in your feet. And we've become so separatist with our healing that we have very few practitioners and you know, in the mainstream, quote unquote, there are thousands and millions of people, I'm sure, who understand how the whole body works, especially in indigenous and Eastern traditions. But in our modern patriarchal Western world, we've really lost the understanding that the body is whole, that we are one whole being. And when something is out of balance in one aspect of our being, then something else is going to be affected or impacted in another aspect of our being. So this is what I see a lot with womb healing. You know, it's like, Usha, why do I have horrible menstrual cramps? And then we do 
digging deeper and we find out that this person isn't sleeping well, that they have high stress, that they are, you know, eating really unconsciously on the go because that's the only time they think they have. So oftentimes we just focus on the symptom and it's time that we focus on the entirety of our life, on our whole being on our lifestyle. And this is really um, what I've learned from Dona Maria Carmen, one of my teachers, and what I've seen over and over again in my practice, you know, that the key to health is to come back into our innate rhythm, which is something that has been so disrupted by the way that we live today. Hey everyone, I want to tell you about a brand of shoes that my husband wears religiously called Sabas. They're the only shoes he wears. And back in 2016, when we got married, we were actually the first wedding to have all of our groomsmen wear Sabas. Sabas, spelled S-A-B-A-H, means morning in Turkish. And every pair is handcrafted at the Saba workshop in Gaziantep, Turkey, and initialed by the maker. Saba shoes use all natural ingredients in the tanning process, no cheap synthetics and no paint, which is what I love about it. I love knowing that my husband and I have Saba's too. I love knowing that we're using shoes that are good for us because if you think about it, think about reflexology, think about all the different things that we can absorb through our feet. We talk about earthing. You take in so much from your feet, so you want to make sure that what you're putting on them is not toxic. The quality is reflected first and foremost in the color and feel of the leather and mostly proven in how they age their longevity and ability to be restored and refreshed. One pair of Saba shoes should last you many years with the right care and attention. And although my husband has like 20 plus pairs and is just absolutely obsessed with it. And that's another thing that we love about it because when you spot other people in public wearing them, it feels like you're both in on the same little secret. And that's actually how the brand was founded. Mickey Ashmore, aka the Saba dealer, the founder, started Saba in 2013 out of his East Village apartment, hosting friends and friends of friends for Turkish coffees and shoe fittings. Since then, Saba has expanded, but the hospitality and personal touch remains the same. So if you're interested in giving them a try, I recommend visiting one of their five Saba house locations in New York, Amagansett, San Francisco, Dallas, or London, or shop online at www.saba.am. Be sure to enter code THEFULLEST in all caps at checkout for complimentary shipping on your order of $75 or more. Saba offers free returns and exchanges and are readily available to assist with any sizing questions. So check them out. We love them. They have slip-ons as well. They have glasses. They have all sorts of other fun things like backgammon and cool bags. And we're just really excited to share about them with you. I love the concept of healing and working with children and people of all ages from womb to tomb. That's so incredible. And I wish that we had that. And we do if if we, you know, allow ourselves the community and find the right people. But I love the concept of how you share that it's through working with your womb. So it's like by healing your womb, you're healing all the other elements of your life. And so 
recently you were sharing something about your relationship with money and so how that was connected to sovereignty and power and how it was through working with your womb that you were able to heal that. So I'm curious if you could elaborate a little bit about that. Absolutely. So womb health and money are connected, both because the information to become financially sovereign and the information to become sovereign in our health and in our sexuality, our sensuality as women has always been held from us. So what I mean by that is, you know, we're still fighting many women for reproductive rights. We are still fighting to gain access, you know, to make accessible practices that can heal us, to bring practices that are um, not only, you know, profitable for a certain industry, but supportive for our health. We're working to bring those to the forefront of the quote unquote mainstream so that we can actually heal the root cause rather than just take a pill to heal a symptom, right? So we're always walking down a path trying to gain access to information that will support us in healing our wounds and in reclaiming our health sovereignty. But then we're also, you know, and I believe it is intentional that we have been held back from a certain kind of financial education as well. So financial, you know, education, meaning how to invest, what to invest in, meaning how to start a savings account, meaning how to, you know, start an IRA, for example, for people in the U.S. This is all information that has been held in a certain kind of circle of elite, right? And these elite people used to be just a circle of investors on Wall Street, and now we're gaining more access to it. So in the 1960s, a law was passed that allowed women to open a bank account for the first time. Previously, they had to have their husband's signature. And if they did not have a husband, so if they were unmarried, they would be denied a bank account. So 1960s, women gained access to bank accounts in the United States. And it wasn't until 1970s that a woman was allowed to take out a line of credit without her husband's signature as well or as an unmarried woman. So, wow. Yes. Just let that sink in for a second, you know, and it's funny because... I noticed that a lot of our clients and a lot of our students and the women that we work with, you know, it's like their card is charged and there's nothing left on their card and they have to refund and change their payment. And I just started to notice like, hmm, these women who are coming for womb healing also have some financial issues that need to be unraveled. And it was the same for me. So when I started my business, I was pretty financially illiterate. And that means that I would check my bank account, you know, not regularly at all, because it caused me so much anxiety to look at my online banking. I felt like I had no idea what I was doing with my money. I only knew how to work and how to serve. And I had no idea how to manage my money at all. So working with my womb and continuing to do my own 
journey, you know, continuing to walk on my own path of feminine reclamation, I started to realize that I had a lot of resistance to kind of owning my money and taking my power in that way. And so one of my biggest inspirations was for this is my co-director of Women Wellness. She's incredible. Her name is Camille, and she does all of our finances for Women Wellness. And speaking with her, you know, I started to learn, okay, this is how you manage your money. This is how you save it. This is how you make sure that no matter what, you always have an emergency fund or you always had enough. And going on this journey, kind of taking a eagle eye view of it, a bird's eye view, I kind of learned that, you know, of course we struggle in these two areas because these places have been systematically taken from us. We have been oppressed in these two areas in terms of our womb health, in terms of our sexual health, and then our financial literacy. So of course, women haven't had access to the kinds of financial education that they need to actually become super financially successful because that was a way that we were supposed to be held back so that we couldn't rise up and have as much influence. So I used to really think that money was unspiritual, that it was dirty, that it was something, you know, that I shouldn't want, especially if I was doing the kind of work that I was doing. And now becoming a mother, I have realized again and again that I need money, right? In our in the system that we live in right now, in the current status quo, we need money in order to support our families, in order to support our children. We need money in order to advocate for ourselves and get the kind of pregnancy care and postpartum care that we need in order to see the practitioners that can support us in finding balance. And so I think it's really revolutionary to both claim our womb health and claim our financial sovereignty so that we as balanced women can rise in our impact that we have in the world so that we can influence the decisions that we want to see. You know, the decisions in our government and our world are made because of lobbyists from these huge conglomerate companies that pay billions of dollars to see the decisions that they want to be made, be made in our country and in our world. And so how can we claim what is ours, learn how to manage our money, learn how to move from a place of alignment within our wombs and have that same kind of impact as well, whether that's in this current status quo or whether that is learning how to change the status quo and rebuild the world and the economy as we know it. Thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. And, and so I guess like through the work of working with our womb, we work through that anxiety and we work through that fear and that whatever it is, the imprinted like thought that we should, you know, hate money or think that it's dirty or evil. And when we reframe that perspective, that's when we can start becoming more financially literate and responsible. And then from there find almost like so much more freedom essentially because then we're not controlled by the patriarchy essentially exactly. and we can thank a lot of the work that we do with our womb 
is looking at our ancestral stories. So for the listeners right now, like just think about how your mother related to money. Think about how your mother related to her womb, to her sexuality, to her womb health. How does she relate to her pregnancy, to her postpartum? How is she supported in those times? Think about your grandmother. Like, what is the money story that we're carrying? And oftentimes we see that the money story we're carrying is related to the womb story that we've inherited as well. And so we can find parallels between these two and then through body based methods find resolution there. So where we're able to step out of the narrative that we inherited and choose the way that we want to continue in our life. So choose the direction that we want to walk, not based on something that has been predetermined for us based on our ancestors' experience. So can you share some ways that you would recommend someone um, move away from their ancestral ties to money if it's something that they're not wanting to be connected with? Absolutely. So in our womb, in our six-week online womb sciences immersion, we talk a lot about ancestry. So for anyone who wants to dive deeper, that's the first module we touch on. But in terms of talking about you know your relationship between your money story and your ancestors, I always think that whatever we're working on, the first biggest step, you know, that gets us over 50% of the way to healing is awareness. So reflecting on those questions that I just asked, you know, what is your money story? What is the money story that you inherited from your family? How was money treated? when you were little? How was work treated when you were little? And how was your womb treated when you were little? Did you learn about menstruation from your mother, from a caregiver? Was your menstrual cycle acknowledged? How was sexuality related to in your family? And you can just, you know, sit with that or ponder that by journaling and through journaling and through looking at the stories, you may start to draw some parallels. And so when you draw parallels there, you can feel what that's like in your body. And when we talk about changing a pattern, so at Women Wellness, we never just come from it from a mental perspective. We actually look at what's happening in the physiology of the body. So let me give an example. So I grew up learning that if you wanted to make money, you had to work super hard. And what that meant was put your head down, don't complain, go to work as much as you can because busyness is coveted and is rewarded above all else. So work harder, not necessarily smarter. And in the process of working and carving out a path for your financial success, you should at all costs deny your body and what it needs, not rest if you need to, because again, busyness has the highest reward. So for me, what I noticed, that pattern that I learned from my parents, that if I wanted to make money, I had to, you know, just completely spin myself out with stress and and working so hard. That pattern unconsciously played out in my life by me showing up 
just completely over showing up to everything that I did, me burning myself out so much that sometimes, you know, I was sick or um, too busy that I couldn't show up to things that I really wanted to that were actually important for me. And so every time that I was given an opportunity to take on a new project or every time that it was the evening and it was time to close my computer, right, and do my practice and go to bed, every time that an opportunity came up to be with a friend or to go outside or to do something other than work on this movement, I would often feel the desire to rest. I would feel the desire in my body to close down for the night and to to connect with myself. And yet I would feel this internal push, this inner critic inside of myself telling me, you know, it's not enough. You can't stop working. If you want to be successful, you need to keep going. And so because I had awareness of that pattern already, right, I had done the journaling, I knew that this was not my story that I was carrying in my body. Then when that inner critic came up, when I felt the somatic sensation of constricting, when I felt like I was curling in on myself, which is what I experienced in my body when that inner critic would start to speak, Then I could just stop for a moment or a few minutes, however long I needed to bring awareness to that feeling, and I could just be with it. So instead of trying to override it and saying, no, 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 you know, I I really tried to just be with it, huh? How curious, how interesting that even after years of work, this inner critic is still there. And I'm going to be totally honest and say that that inner critic is still there sometimes. And I still have to be just super aware and sit with that inner critic because those patterns that we have inherited, whether it's from our nuclear family, from our mother, our father, or our parents, our caregivers, or whether it's from ancestors that we've never met, they're deeply ingrained. They are literally held within our DNA and our bones. But what we know is that we can change our DNA. So that's what the study of epigenetics proves is that based on the way that we live our lives and the choices we make, so based on the resources that we have, so our ability to just sit with a pattern, feel it, And then our power to choose whether or not we want to repeat that pattern. The choice that we make has the ability to change our DNA and then impact future generations. So that is ancestral healing in the energetic and scientific sense. So just sitting with that pattern for myself you know, seeing that inner critic and feeling that inner critic come up, just sitting with that pattern and bringing awareness to it already is changing it. So you do the work to journal, you identify the pattern, you look at it, but then you also notice when does that pattern come up in your body? What does it feel like in your body? And are you able to just sit and notice that sensation? And what we 
can recognize often when we sit and notice the sensation is that often that sensation will change. So at first I'm feeling tightness, that inner critic is telling me not to stop working. You know, if I want to be successful, I got to keep going. But then after I bring awareness to that tightness, well, suddenly it feels a little bit warm and it feels kind of soft and now it's changed. And I've reached a resolution point where I've processed that physiologic reaction to my inner critic. And now I can move on from a place of awareness. So that's just a, you know, an ongoing practice. And I think that's something that's really important to say just in closing is that this work doesn't happen overnight. And something that we're told, you know, in the kind of new age wellness space that can often be really intertwined with marketing is that if you do this, you'll get results in, you know, X amount of times. And really, we just don't know if that's true because work, womb work is not a linear path. It's a spiraling journey, which means we continue to unravel different patterns and we have really no idea how deep it will go. And yet the progress that we see is palpable and tangible. So it's really about just staying with your body, staying with your womb and being committed to be with yourself through that process of unraveling. I really resonate with that. And I completely agree. It, I love that analogy of use, um, saying that it's like a spiral because the more we work on it, the more that comes through, but then it might be feel like it's been, you know, healed or worked on for a while and then something triggers it or something comes up again. And, and it's like a new perspective that you can have and then you can explore that. And, and I really do believe like, I love working with different practitioners and, and doing body work because I think body work really helps. And whether that's like craniosacral therapy or um, chiropractic, energetic body work and stuff like that. But I really do agree with you that at the end of the day, it really comes back to like, taking again it's always just comes back to us right just taking the time being aware writing it down and seeing how you feel and i i love that you shared that because there are so many different ways to approach it and so many different people that can support it again going back to the financial aspect it is so wonderful to have the resources to see people that can help support and assist you but it, at the end of the day, this work can be done, a majority of it, like you said, with just having that awareness and taking a step back. And And at one point you had shared, you know, about just how, you know, being overworked just because our culture really loves that and, and rewards that um, really affects us. And I'm curious now that you're a mother, I don't know how old you your child is or if it's a um, boy or girl, what gender, but I, what I found for me was I was in a very similar place. And then I just realized when I prioritize my family, but I still obviously, you know, have a business to run. I just, 
I, what I did was I was able to just kind of be like, you know what, that's not worth my time and my effort. And I'm not going to put any energy into that. And I'm only going to focus on what's important. And it really helped me streamline and, and not put a lot of pressure on myself. And I think part of that has to do with doing this work, but I think just becoming a mother really puts things in perspective as well. So I'm curious your experiences with that. Yeah, that's like pretty much my exact experience. <laughs> um, my daughter is almost four months and, you know, becoming a mother and, you know, giving birth and, and looking at this little baby on my chest, you know, right after she was born, it's like everything in my being rearranged itself. All of my priorities, things that used to seem like they mattered, I really don't care about anymore. And it it's amazing how, and we know this, like physiologically and neurologically, the brain rewires itself when you become a mother. And these brain changes can last for up to two years. But there's new research. There's a great new book called Mom Genes. And there's research in that book that show that, you know, women who are mothers or people who have been pregnant, when they look at images of babies' faces, they have a very emotional response in their body and in their brain. And that response is very different than people who have not been pregnant before, who have not been mothers before. So, you know, we think that this lasts for two years, but really it could last our entire life because the way that motherhood changes us is so incredibly seismic. It's so incredibly huge that it just really rearranges the entirety of our being. So for me, um, you know, it's like my, my daughter is being watched right now by my sister and it's like constantly my nervous system is tracking back to her. You know, how is she doing? Is she okay? Is everything great? Even in this interview, you know, I've thought about her like 15 to 20 times. Right. And so in my day, it's really clear she comes first and the spawn that we have come first. And I just entered back into my business two weeks ago. I was on maternity leave for four months and I was really nervous about how I was going to be able to manage all of it. And once I kind of let the previous precedent or expectation that I had on myself to fall away, I was able to flow with my work and my daughter in a much more easy way. So I used to show up to my business and I gave 150%. And I was kind of telling myself a story, which was, you know, in six months or in a year or in two years, I'll be back and it'll be normal again. And once I accepted that it will never be the way that it was, because my business is now not my first priority. I am able to give my business what I have and able to show up in a lot more authenticity. So it's amazing how, you know, for me, as you said, being a mother just really, it forced me to streamline and forced me to actually evaluate what is important, what is important to me. 
and I have a finite amount of energy. So how am I going to divide that energy so that I am actually living the life that I want to live and focusing on the areas that are the most important to me? Yeah, I didn't realize your daughter was so young. I th- I mean, my son is going to be three years old and that feeling of how is he doing? What, you know, where is he right now? And does he need me? And that none of that goes away. And similarly, like I just felt like I had, well, for me, I had definitely like a lot of anxiety tied to it. Um, and that's been something I've been working on, just like being at work and being away. I, I bring him like everywhere with me though, but now like he has a little play group that I started so that he can play with other kids for like four hours, four days a week. And, and actually that's what I found is for my balance is, um, what I ended up doing is I really like Tim Ferriss's like four hour work day and four day work week. And so for us and our team, we've implemented that where we work Monday through Thursday from um, 9am to 1pm. And then the rest of the time we're still like on call and stuff, but we can just kind of feel more free and able to do what we need to take care of ourselves. Because again, that's a priority. And I feel so much more focused. And so I I feel like in a way I'm able to find that balance. We'll see. I, I'm due um, with my second child in the next couple weeks. So we'll see how that goes with number two. But I think it's really incredible how people are coming out and sharing more and more that you don't need to overwork and, and you can, I don't want to say you can do it all because I think that, um, it's different for everyone, but I think that there's just like how our heart has room to love more and more people and it just continues to expand and grow. I really believe that, you know, we can just expand and share, um, as long as we focus on ourselves and what's important to us first and foremost, I I believe that there's enough for everyone. And, and, you know, this is like totally off subject, but, but going back to like something that you said before, in the very beginning, um, just talking about religion and the culture that you grew up in and like the fear that was instilled in that, um, culture. And I think it's so interesting because it's reminiscent of just modern day society and like the news and media and how we, I don't know. I think we just kind of like tend to, I mean, we right now, especially over the last year, in my opinion, we've really instilled so much fear in people into not trusting their own body and their own ability to heal and their own intuition. And I think this work goes back to intuition at the end of the day. And so uh, it's just all really important. And it's beautiful that we're able to um, have children and and have platforms to share with people that that it's possible to have that sovereignty and and to have a knowingness and and trusting your own ability to to heal and to do things differently. I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is it looks different for everyone, and I real but I do really appreciate like going back to the maternity thing you sharing about 
the importance of paid maternity leave. And I think at one point you were like sharing about how like just comparing it to something else that we do pay for. I don't remember, but that like we don't pay for women, but then we, you know, we pay for other things. And so I thought that was interesting. And I'm sure it's something you're really passionate about right now, having just come back. Yeah. And what's really interesting, you know, in the U.S. and I have students who are messaging me and, you know, they're from Bulgaria or they're from the Czech Republic. And they're like, we have three years of paid maternity leave here. And if, you know, the father or the other partner wants to apply, they can get years of leave as well. And, you know, just putting into perspective where we're at in the U.S., it's illegal to separate a mother from her puppies. So a dog from her puppies at from eight to 12 weeks, depending on the breed. And the American Kennel Club states that it's because the quote dogs are, the puppies are completely dependent on the mother. And, you know, I, for mothers who are listening or parents who are listening, you know, that a new human baby cannot take care of themselves in any sense, right? They are completely dependent on the mother. And so we have two different periods. We have a period of intro gestation, which is, you know, anywhere from 36 to 44 weeks. And that is known as pregnancy. And that's really what's honored in our current culture in the United States. But then we also have a period of exogestation. So the nine months to a year, some even say three to seven years after where the baby's social nervous system is developing. In this time, mother and baby are completely undifferentiated. And more and more research is revealing that, you know, what the mother is feeling, the baby is feeling. And so postpartum care and paid leave are absolutely essential, not only to support the mother's health, but to support the baby's health as well, because we know that trauma and childhood adversity impacts our propensity to develop chronic disease later in life. So I think what we need right now is a complete reworking of the way that we look at pregnancy and motherhood. And, you know, I notice in my pregnancy and in my postpartum that, and I was probably in the top five percentile for the kind of care I had. I mean, I had an amazing midwife. I had an amazing acupuncturist. I had one of my best friends um, come and stay with us for two weeks. You know, my mom and my sister and my dad were really close and were able to care for my new family as well. And yet I still had such a hard time in postpartum. And right now, you know, postpartum care is a privilege and that is not how it should be. So I really feel that we need to focus on paid leave and also, you know, in tandem with that, need to focus on how we are caring for new mothers, both from, you know, a financial standpoint, but also from a community standpoint. So, you know, rethinking the baby list Do we really need all of these items for this baby or do we need instead to show up with presents for the mom? 
what do we bring when we bring when we go over to a new mom's house you know are we expecting her to serve us or are we helping her you know how are we talking about motherhood what are we expecting of these new moms and really we need to completely shift the way that we care for the first year of life especially because we know that it not only impacts the baby's health outcomes in the future but it also impacts the mother's health outcomes and in ayurveda they call postpartum the sacred window because how we treat ourselves during postpartum is how we will treat ourselves for the rest of our lives. So the way that we take care of ourselves in postpartum will directly impact our health, especially in menopause, but also just for the rest of our days. I love that. And I love Ayurveda. Did you um, try and incorporate like the first 40 days um, into your- Oh, yes. I didn't leave my house for 57 days. (laughs) For how long? 57 days. That is incredible. And I see that's, and it's so sad that that means, you know, that requires so much commitment. And I'm sure like people, obviously, when you shared with them, they were respectful and stuff. I don't know. But I think that a lot of times with people, if they're able to do that, even if they're, like you said, I mean, postpartum care is a privilege. And I feel so blessed to have had the opportunity to have wonderful postpartum care as well. But again, like you're just, it's so crazy how our society looks at women who are like, no, please just don't come to my house for a few weeks. Like I appreciate you reaching out, but I just need time. And, and I think, you know, it's like everyone has baby fever and needs to come see the baby. And like you said, no one's thinking about the mother really in that sense. And it's such a, such a special sacred time, but I, I didn't realize that they call it the sacred window. That's so beautiful. Yes, it is so beautiful. And I think one of the things that, you know, I really wished was that the narrative because already, you know, taking 40 days is a huge commitment and takes a lot of resources, right? And also 40 days is often not enough. Like in the books that I had read, which are supposedly really revolutionary, you know, and are great resources about postpartum, it was kind of spoken about like you take 40 days and then like that's that's it. And what I'm experiencing, you know, four months postpartum and is that 40 days is not enough, right? It's the fourth trimester. And even still, I'm supposedly out of that time. And I'm still not in any way back to quote unquote normal or back to what I was before I was pregnant. And so there needs to be a normalization and we need to destigmatize the conversation for how hard it can be to do the things that you once did. Like, you know, 57 days. I remember I got into my car, we just went for a drive and it took us like an hour because we had to get everything ready and it was like we hadn't done it before and we had something with the car seat and the whole time in the car, I was freaking out, right? To to drive 50 miles an hour in the car with your new baby is terrifying and I had so much anxiety 
And I was like, where is the conversation around this? You know, where is the conversation that things will be so different for months, for years, forever after you have a baby and that you will likely never feel the same and you will have different areas of strength and, you know, different sensations. And I wish that that conversation was more at the forefront one of the things that I hear from a lot of my doula clients who come to me, you know, with their second birth and maybe they had a different doula or they didn't have a doula for their first birth was that they were overprepared for birth and underprepared for motherhood. And I think that we really need to shift the conversation and the way that we support women and new families in that time so that women and moms don't feel like they're crazy for having um, to take some time to adjust. And for me, it was like, I was so supportive and still, you know, the support dwindled after two weeks. Right. So everyone's so excited. They're helping a new baby is here. And then people stop coming. People stop bringing food. People stop checking in. The excitement dies down. And yet the new mom and the partner and the baby, they're just left to adjust. Um, and pick up the pieces of their reality that has been totally shattered and their ego that has been totally annihilated. And they're just trying to figure out how to navigate life from here on out. So we really need to change the way that we're supporting mothers, babies, and new families. I really believe in the first year of life, especially. And I think if we had, if we refocused in that area, we would see exponential benefit in the way that generations age and in the health of generations from here on out. That's such a beautiful reminder. Thank you so much. I think that's the perfect way to end our conversation. And I really appreciate you again for coming on and sharing with us. And for all of our listeners, please, if you haven't, check out Usha's platform woman wellness and um we'll link everything obviously but i really really love everything you had to say and and what you're sharing and i believe that that's the first step to helping to helping sh- make the necessary shift for us to all find that agency and that sovereignty and and to connect back with ourselves 